When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian, and you're listening to episode 384 of Sustainable Minimalists. What on earth is this show? It is a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we are discussing the healing effects of nature, and specifically, we're talking about this new-ish phenomenon, and I say new-ish, kind of in air quotes over here, new phenomenon called forest bathing. The term forest bathing is new-ish, but the practice, the practice of getting lost in the woods and tuning into our senses, that has been around for centuries. So on today's show, we're discussing you know, what on earth forest bathing is, why we should consider it. I mean, heck, we sunbathe. Why not forest bathe? And here to help me break down everything you need to know about forest bathing is Ben Page. He is an advocate. He's also a facilitator of forest bathing, and he's an author as well. He wrote a book that I came across in a quaint little gift shop in Kennebunkport, Maine. His book is called Healing Trees, A Pocket Guide to Forest Bathing. I picked up his book. I read it. I snapped a picture of it and put it on my Instagram stories with a little poll. Should I interview this author? Yes or no? 96% of you said, heck yes. And that's why we're here today. Now, I do have a goal for today. My goal is to encourage you, by the time you've listened to the end of this episode, my goal is to encourage you to get outside, preferably into the forest, and try some forest bathing yourself. Now, if you don't have a forest nearby, any park or outdoor place will do. That's my goal. I'm unabashed in having a goal for today's episode. Ben, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. I found out before we hit record that you grew up in the town next to me and went to the high school that my daughters are going to go to at some later date. What a small world. How are you? I'm great. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's crazy. Small world, right? Oh, such a small world. Before we get into the what, the why, the how, let's talk about you. Who are you? How did you find yourself being an advocate and facilitator for forest bathing? Tell me all those things. I guess part of my conviction about forest bathing is that we are all born as forest bathers because we're all born as sensory beings that are connecting with the world around them through the intelligence of our bodies. And that's really the original intelligence. This is kind of a pre-verbal, pre-cognitive, pre-egoic intelligence that lives within the body. I grew up in a town with a lot of forest. So I spent a lot of time just kind of 
doing forest bathing without knowing I was doing it. I actually get a ton of people that come through the training, but that's kind of what they say as way of introduction. They say, I think I've been doing this my whole life. I just never really knew it had a name. And on some level, I think that's true. And on some level, once you have kind of a more formalized practice of it, it can just get deeper and deeper. I always really liked taking a slow walk in the woods. It was never really about exercise. It was just kind of a contemplative practice of being here now. And I think the forest really kind of facilitates that for me personally. So in an informal way, I was just doing this all along. Um, I've been facilitating for almost 10 years now. And when I first started training people, I would tell them, you know, it took 30 years for yoga to reach cultural definition in the United States in such a way that it wasn't thought of as kind of like a weird thing. And I think forest bathing has just gone so much faster than that, which I didn't anticipate. I thought it would take, you know, maybe 10 or 20 years for it to really mainstream. But kind of the the rate of growth with this practice is really staggering. More and more people seem to want to do it. And I think the best thing about it is for me, I'm, I'm always reminding myself, like part of my mission is that eventually as a society, we don't need people like me to help you remember how to do this. It's just so ingrained in the culture that we teach our children how to do this. And then we all are just able to do this without any fancy facilitator. Hmm. Well, you mentioned in your answers there that you've been doing this your whole life without even giving it a name, and many other of your trainees have echoed the same sentiment. Let's talk about the origins, the more formal origins of forest bathing. We've likely been doing this for thousands of years historically. But from your book, I learned that modern forest bathing originated in the 1980s in Japan. Talk to me about that. How did this movement, if you even want to call it a movement, come to be? What was missing in Japanese culture that forest bathing filled? What void did it fill? Tell me all right. of that. So this is a fascinating and challenging conversation because the more I learn about this, the deeper it gets. But the first thing to say is that forest bathing, that term was coined in the 1980s. But that's somehow kind of obfuscates the reality of like hundreds of years of Japanese culture. And the indigenous religion of Japan is called Shinto. And Shinto identifies these spiritual entities called kami in the beings of the more than human world. So a mountain has the spiritual character, a river has the spiritual character. And so woven into the fabric of Japanese society is this real reverence for nature. And that's been there for hundreds of years. So even though we're thinking about forest bathing as kind of a modern invention, I think it's really rooted in Zen in particular and Shinto before that really provides the kind of philosophical soil that this kind of a practice can grow in. But okay, 1980s. Basically, what's happening in Japan at this moment is that they're having an enormous transformation in their economy and everyone's moving to the cities. It's like this big tech boom. They're going from a mostly outdoor agricultural society to a mostly urban indoor tech-based economy. And there are two massive consequences to this. The first is a health problem. 
basically all of a sudden the government notices this huge spike in cancer and autoimmune disease, people dying of stress. The Japanese even coined a word called karoshi, which is um, death by overwork. So people were literally just dying from this incredibly fast-paced urban lifestyle. Now, the other problem was an economic problem, which is when all the people move from the rural prefectures into the cities, it devastates the economy of those rural communities. So all the young men are moving to the city to make money, and all the children and the old folks are staying in the countryside, but there's, there's no way to make money. So this is where they have this kind of interesting synchronicity in their problem solving. So the government looks at the health crisis. And they set out their, basically what, what would be their federal agencies and say, figure out how to solve this. So the Department of Agriculture, Forestry, and Fisheries starts doing this research project they call forest bathing, shinjin yoku. Shinjin means forest, yoku means bath. So basically what they're studying is the health impact of exposing people to forested environments. And the thing that they were studying was the production of these special white blood cells called natural killer or NK cells. These cells are roaming the body looking for stressed cellular growth that could become cancerous, and they terminate it preventatively. So the interesting thing they found is that trees diffuse these chemicals all around them called phytoncides. Phyton meaning plant, side meaning killer. Phytoncides are antimicrobial, antibacterial, and antifungal chemicals. So if a fungus is attacking the tree, the tree diffuses these phytoncides into the air around it, and those phytoncides land on the, the fungus and they kill it. So you can think of it kind of like the tree's immune system. But what is kind of mind-blowing is that you know all of our ancestors evolved under the canopy of trees. And so we have co-evolved with trees so that we can absorb phytoncides through our breath and through the skin, and that triggers the production of these NK natural killer cells. So basically, just being out there is boosting your immune strength. So that one discovery really opened up this window of research into hundreds and hundreds of different projects about trying to understand what most of us who spend time outside intuitively know all along, which is that it's healthy. Basically, human beings are evolved to live in the forests. That is like for 99.9% of our evolutionary history, we've been living out there. So we have a lot of modern health problems that are really just a direct result of not living where we're, where we're designed to live. So there's many, many, many different ways that basically forest medicine is practiced in Japan. It's not a monolithic thing, but you might find yourself doing like some yoga and some breathing and some chilling and some eating soba noodles and, you know, sauna, onsen, whatever it is. It's kind of just like this health retreat that they create outside of the urban center. Wow. So you mentioned phytoncides there. And I mean, if preventative medicine is not <laughs> the biggest and most awe-inspiring reason to get out into the forest more, I don't know what is. But I'm wondering whether there's any benefit of forest bathing on stress levels. Yes. I mean, basically, when I, when I think about the health impacts of forest bathing, I kind of break it down into these three categories. There's like the physiological impacts. So things like 
improved respiration, decreased heart rate, uh, improved circulation, whatever. There's all these things that happen in the body. And that's all happening kind of below the threshold of your attention, right? Then there's the mental health benefits, which I'll talk about in a second. And then there's kind of these, depending on how you like to look at the world, you might call them spiritual or psycho-spiritual or relational benefits, just the healing that comes through feeling more connected, more related to the earth. And when you talk about these, it, it sometimes is kind of a funny thing where it's hard to put something in a category because it might be all three at the same time. So there's, there's two things at play in forest bathing when we talk about health. There's the nature immersion part where it's like, okay, what is it about being outside that is healthy for us? And then the other side of it is kind of what are the health impacts of being in a state of rest and relaxation. And this is where forest therapy kind of combines these things. So on the nature side, there's so much fascinating research about this. There's this one study they did where they wanted to understand the impact of people just seeing the color green. And it wasn't even like trees. It was just painting the walls green. So they did this in a hospital and they did this in a prison. In the hospital, they found that people in the green rooms healed a lot faster than the people not in the green rooms, and that the green induced a state of relaxation that boosted their body's natural ability to heal. In the prison, it lowered aggression, and people were just way more chill. So this is like an evolutionary memory where we're designed to have certain reactions to certain things. There's also this interesting thing about fractals where seeing a fractal pattern calms the mind, makes us less stressed, because essentially they're natural patterns. You have to define fractal for me. Oh, fractals? It's like, um, like a flower has a fractal pattern, or it's kind of a, a geometric, how to say this? Like a, yeah, like a geometric pattern that it shows up in, in so many different natural things like leaves and flowers and water and how all the, the beings kind of move or are designed in this way versus um, like when you walk through a city, you see a lot of angles, like right angles, square shapes, boxes. So when you get like deep, deep down into the way the human brain and the human body is designed, we feel calm when we feel our environment is supportive of our survival. So seeing the color green, hearing water, hearing birds, these things all signal to the back of our brains that we're in a safe place. This is where we want to be. This is where it feels good. It's like some of this, when you get real deep down into it, seeing a mountain and a river coming out of it, this is also a sign to our bodies that this is a place where I could I could survive because I have the resources I need. So basically, your body is designed to read the environment around you, and a state of relaxation is really contingent upon all these environmental factors that are not about analysis. It's not about what you think about it. You might think, you know, the city is very beautiful, whatever. That doesn't really matter. Your body isn't thinking that. Your body is reading the environment and saying, is this a place that I can survive? 
And when you have that, then you relax. Part of my theory about what's going on today is that people spend absolutely every waking minute in their sympathetic nervous system because we carry around these little stress machines in our pocket and it notifies you every time something bad happens. Like we're so plugged into all the bad stuff that's happening in the world. And so our bodies are kind of normalizing a level of stress that is really unhealthy. The only way to get rid of the stress hormones, particularly adrenaline and cortisol, is principally through exercise. So this makes sense biologically that, you know, if we're running away from the wolves or the big cat, we're cleansing our body of the the chemicals that our brain just dumped into our bloodstream, right? But now we're mostly just sitting around on our phones and reading the news and going really stressed out. And so it's poisoning our bodies because if you just keep dumping that adrenaline and that cortisol into the body over and over again, and you don't exercise and you don't get rid of it, then it starts to basically become a toxic environment for your body. Mm. So the cure is the forest. Ben, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, I'm going to ask you, well, how do you do this? Is it as simple as going and sitting in the woods? Or is this much more complex? Am I missing steps? So we're going to get into the how, step by step, drive to the forest, pick a rock, etc. We'll get there after a quick sponsor break. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Today, I'm speaking with Ben Page. He is an advocate and facilitator of forest bathing. He's also the author of Healing Trees, A Pocket Guide to Forest Bathing. 
Before the break, Ben, we talked photon sides and dactyls, and we also discussed the benefits of forest bathing. They're numerous. And now I'd love to talk about the how. For somebody who's never even taken a walk in the woods before, and they're listening to our conversation, they are on board, they want to get it out there into the forest and get those benefits that we discussed in the first part of our conversation, what do they do? Well, forest bathing is a little bit like meditation in that we're trying to get out of our heads and we're trying to get into our bodies. And that's what brings forth the rest and relaxation, the rejuvenation that we're looking for. So we're not trying to make this a analytical experience trying to make this an embodied experience. Most people really struggle with meditation like I did. Um, I like sat in a meditation hall for a few years and the way that it operates there is they say, okay, go inward, feel the breath, focus your attention on the breath. And I still do some of that in forest bathing too. But with forest bathing, you're also externalizing your focus onto the natural world around you through the senses, through the intelligence of the body. Interesting thing about your attention, it's kind of like this spotlight in your consciousness. And there are multiple things happening in your conscious experience simultaneously. One of them is the mind. It's always generating ideas. You can't silence it. You can't make it stop. But if you turn the light of your attention off of the mind and turn it on to the sensation of the body, it's not that the mind isn't still generating thoughts, but it's that you are not aware of them anymore because you are not paying attention to the thoughts. You're paying attention to the body. So if you want to start, just go find some place to sit and explore it with your senses. This is the most simple way to just dive right in. You can ask yourself these questions about, okay, what are all the things that I can hear right now? And I like to have a world of no separation. So you don't have to find a fully you know, wild space to do this. You can do this in the middle of downtown or in a public park or whatever. So you're hearing birds, you're hearing airplane, you're hearing whatever is happening around you, just placing your full attention on sound. And then maybe you shift to touch. What does everything here feel like? This is often really cool because we think we know. But until you have the immediate experience, you don't actually know. And then, yeah, maybe it's sight. Looking at everything very, very closely. So now we're just practicing externalizing our attention outside of the mind and into the body and through the senses. Once you get yourself through that, that's when I tell people, okay, really simple. Find a place to sit down and just give yourself permission to rest. This is a safe place to do nothing. And this is so revolutionary for people because I think we live in such a grind culture now that we really struggle to do nothing. We feel guilty about it. We feel shame. And that's, I think, one of the reasons why people will often hire a facilitator, because I'm going to support you in doing nothing. I'm going to validate you doing nothing. This is what we're here to do, you know? 
Whereas when you go out by yourself, it can be hard to do this because no one's kind of holding you in that space. No one's validating that it's okay to just do nothing. So the idea is to not try to uh, like get anything out of it, which is a, a very challenging thing, I think. This is the same challenge for meditation with Western people because we live in a society that's about achieving things. <laughs> like We want to feel like we did it right. And we got what we were supposed to get out of it. And so this is kind of the opposite philosophically. Just learn how to be here. Just learn how to rest, how to relax. And let the more than human world hold you in that process because it's very patient. And it doesn't demand that you do anything or be anyone or prove anything for you to get all of these benefits that it's offering you. There's like this thing on the internet called TLDR. You know about this? It stands for too long, didn't read. So the TLDR of my book is like, just go outside, move slowly. Don't forget to smell things. Oh, that yes, that's perfect. How many words was that? 15? <laughs> okay, well, even though it is that simple, I still have some questions. This is like rapid fire round, if that's okay. How often should we be forest bathing? Like once a week, once a month, once a year. Yeah. If you're talking about this from like a health perspective, the Japanese researchers suggest that you go for like three hours every two weeks, um, like a three hour immersion once every two weeks. And that's going to pull your immune system back up to the strength that it, it needs to be at. If you're talking about this for a mental health thing, if that's your motivation, just 30 minutes a day every day can be really awesome. And you know, it's not like if you miss a day you're going to lose all your all your, you know, quote progress. <laughs> I always tell people there's no progress, there's just doing it. And then yeah, you know, honestly, if you can kind of get this in into your lifestyle where you can do this anywhere, like I'll be waiting in line for coffee sometimes and I'll feel sad because everyone's on their phone. Like we're so afraid of boredom that we need to be stimulated constantly. And I'll just kind of come back to my body and say, what does it feel like to be breathing right now? And what does it feel like to be standing here? What does it feel like? What's the air temperature? What do things look like here? What are the sounds here? What are the smells here? Just coming back to this moment and not stressing out about it there's this Chinese expression about tension is who you think you should be. Relaxation is who you are. So I've encountered people that want to do um, forest bathing or mindfulness meditation or yoga or whatever. They have an idea of who they want to be, who they wish they were, right? And so their entire practice is characterized by a certain level of tension because they don't want to just relax into being who they are right here, right now. They want to be more advanced or have like some special superpowers or whatever. So for me, a big part of this is just like, let go of this needing to make you feel special. Recognize this as part of your belongingness to the earth, like the birthright of being part of this world. And that you're never going to be perfect at it. You're always going to come back to that ego self, to all this mental chatter. That's okay. That's not a problem. Just learn how to put that down for a minute. And just a minute can have a big impact. This was rapid fire, Ben, which means quick 
an oh, easy no. answer. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. I'll be, I'll be good. Okay. <laughs> No, no, I'm totally kidding. Uh, okay, so rapid fire, we're re-entering rapid fire round. How long? I know you said you can get benefits in just a minute. How, where should a beginner start in terms of time duration? Um, let's say 30 minutes, rapid fire. Do you have to be sitting? Can you be doing a rigorous hike? Can you be doing something in the middle of those two extremes? Um, yeah, you don't have to be sitting, but I don't think you can do this while doing a rigorous hike. You need to be moving slow enough that you can actually pay attention to the experience. So uh, a rigorous hike is not going to be a great way to do forest bathing. Should we leave our cell phones at home? Gosh, that's a controversial one. If you're someone that leaving your cell phone at home makes you feel an unbelievable level of stress and anxiety, then I'd say no. Because if you're stressed and anxious the whole time, there's no point in doing it at all. But if you're someone that can leave your cell phone at home and not feel hugely stressed, then yes, I would say that really, really supports this work of just being here now. Should we leave our kids at home? Ah, well, that's such a it depends question. I think actually kids are great mentors at forest bathing. Have your kids teach you how to do it. Just unleash them on the forest and say, I want you to show me what, you know, everything smells like here or like bring me things that, you know, feel cool in your hands. Make it a game. Make it fun. Like this is good stuff for kids. I think kids desperately need this right now because they're growing up at a time where so much is happening kind of digitally that having a sensory education and the sensory development of the body is hugely important for human development. So if your kids are down, uh, yeah, I'd say bring them along for sure. I I know this is rapid fire and I'm doing what I just scolded you for, but I have to say I went on a little hike with my two daughters last weekend and they just tune into their senses naturally everywhere, but especially in the woods, you know, oh, this bark is so rough, or look at the colors of this mushroom, or they do it naturally. And so I think it's quite interesting that we have to formalize and give a fancy name to something that our younger selves did you know, without thinking about it. Absolutely. How interesting Absolutely. is that? I think that's all part of kind of a cultural programming we go through where in this country and probably in the West, we have descended out of enlightenment philosophy with a lot of scars. And one of those scars comes from Mr. Descartes, who basically suggested that I think, therefore I am, that everything about consciousness is a function of the mind. And that's what spawns a culture of mind over matter that it says the body is not intelligent. The body is just a machine. And Descartes basically said the human body is a machine and all animals and plants are just machines. They don't have any innate intelligence. And the impact of that philosophical discourse on our modern culture is enormous. So we have a culture of kind of numbing ourselves and denying the instinct of the body so that we can fit into our, our culture. And then just like you said, what is natural to the child basically becomes completely demolished. Okay, back rapid to rapid fire. fire. <laughs> One <Come> more on. <laughs> question. <laughs> is there a way to do it wrong? And if so, what is it? Um, no, there's no way to do it wrong. As long as you are here, your body is literally doing it all the time. You don't even realize it. 
your attention just hasn't recognized that it's happening right now. You're, it's like you're breathing all the time. Your heart is beating all the time. You're in your body all the time. It's all unfolding. It's all happening. Your body is picking up all this information from the world. You're just not paying attention. Your spotlight's not on it. Yeah, exactly. Your spotlight is not on it. So this is this is happening all the time. It's always available to you. Just come home. Just come home to the body. Well, I have one more question for you, Ben, before we wrap up. And it is for the listeners who are listening right now. And they're a little bit skeptical, but they're willing to try. Like maybe they just don't like the woods or ticks or mosquitoes. Maybe they don't have time or they think they don't have time. Maybe, I don't know, maybe the weather's not right. Like insert excuse. So for those listeners who are skeptical but are willing to try, how many forest bathing outings should they go on before they say, this isn't for me? Like how many, how long until maybe some benefits are felt? I mean, I personally say I'll try anything twice. That's my threshold. <laughs> um, yeah, maybe that's a good way of doing it. So yeah, uh, give it give it two shots. And honestly, I think if you can find a guide to take you on a walk, that's going to make a huge difference in your perception of the value of the practice. It's kind of like when people sign up to do a yoga class versus watching a yoga video on YouTube and following along in their house. Basically, when you're doing it by yourself, you are simultaneously the participant and the facilitator, which is actually quite challenging. So when you go on a walk with a guide, you have offloaded all of this stuff onto them. I don't have to know what time it is. I don't have to know where we are. I don't have to worry about you know my, my physical safety. I don't have to worry about getting lost. I don't have to worry about any of this stuff. It makes it so much easier to just sink into the practice. And then once you've done that a few times, then I think you can take that learning and just apply it in your daily life so much more easily. So yeah, I think if we, if we can just go outside and spend some time, pay attention to what feels good in the body, pay attention to what brings us into a state of rest and relaxation. It's just this dynamic learning process that never really ends. You always have something new to explore, new to discover. That's part of the joy of it. Well, I must say, I loved your book. I'll tell the title one more time. It's Healing Trees, A Pocket Guide to Forest Bathing. Because for those of us listening who have never done anything like this before, this is stepping some toes into uncharted waters. Your book is meant to be a guide. It's meant to help you on your journey into these uncharted waters, perhaps. So Ben, I'll link to your book in the show notes for anybody listening. But I'm wondering if there's another place where listeners can learn more about you and your work. Integralforestbathing.com. I'm going to be doing a bunch of retreats next year, forest therapy trainings, forest therapy walks here in Los Angeles if people are local. Ben, thank you so much. I learned an awful lot and I'm so excited to get out there into the forest. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 384. 
And before we go, I want to just highlight a, an article I read in the Washington Post recently, which is all about biophilic design. Biophilic design is a research-backed, keyword research-backed approach to interior design that encourages connecting with the outdoors, with bringing nature in. So if you listen to the entirety of our episode with Ben Page and you sound and and you said to yourself that sounds awesome, I want to do it but for whatever reason I just can't. I wanted to highlight a couple principles of biophilic design so that you can bring the outdoors in so that you can get those benefits we discussed without traveling 4 or 5 6 hours to get it done. So of course, bring in the house plants. Bring in the house plants. We've talked about that a lot on this show. Spoiler alert. Bring in the house plants. When you're looking for textiles, look for floral prints. And when it comes to colors, think about earth tones, sea tones. Ben, in our conversation, mentioned the power of the color green. When it comes to putting stuff on your walls, artwork, consider photographs or paintings of scenes of the outdoors. Because research finds that exposure to natural images pushes the brain into a more rested state. And again, another nod to Ben is to bring the fractals into your house. Fractals, those complex patterns that repeat in varying sizes and scales. Ben mentioned that they are in abundance in the natural world. The repeated Patterns have been shown to provide a sense of order, and our eyes are naturally drawn to them, so bring them into your home. And then finally, this is person-specific, but recognize which natural environments speak to you and then seek to bring those elements into your home. So for me, I'm a black and white thinker. I need categories. I tend to view people, and I know this is wrong. But I tend to view people as mountain people or beach people. <laughs> I know it's wrong, but that's what my brain does. I am definitely a mountain person. So I'm going to be bringing into my home more woodsy elements. Whereas perhaps if you consider yourself a beach person, you'll be bringing in things that remind you of the beach. Perhaps you've had important or memorable life experiences at the beach. Bring those elements in. And then finally, of course, don't forget to tap into the sense of nature, aromas from the natural world, bringing in smells associated with woodlands, for example, are linked with people's memories and contribute to greater physical and emotional well-being. So I will be back tomorrow with a headlines episode. Don't miss it. I'll see you then. As always, reach out if you need me. I so hope you are rip-roaring ready to try some forest bathing in your own life. I'll see you tomorrow and take care.